Welcome back to Division One Rejects. This is episode 97 with David Gregory. He's uh, the agent representing Bull Rush Sports and representing a lot of guys. We'll talk about uh, him in a second here, but a lot of guys that fit the criteria of D1 Rejects. Uh, Jake Witt, who we had on the show, has generated a lot of buzz here uh, from Northern Michigan, is under his representation, as well as guys from Davenport, Northern State, uh, receiver that started at Northern, is now at Central Michigan, um, and then a couple other Been guys. On the show. We did have Dallas on the show a while back. That's correct. Um, and then a guy from uh, Edward Waters <clears throat> as well. So talk to David. We talked with him about uh, the agent representation side of the NFL draft, everything that includes. Had some really good talks with him about the undrafted free agent market and the priority undrafted free agent market that ensues directly after the draft concludes. Uh, also is a partner in an NIL company. So talked with him about that. Long conversation. Again, these conversations with these guests keep getting longer, but like, I don't want to cut anybody off because a lot of stuff we talk about is really good. So uh, definitely tune in for that one. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, the deal has finally gone through. He's a jet. I don't want to talk too much at length about it today, but it's it's really big news. It's worth covering. I want to really just look at the trade and like yeah. kind of examine like what the actual trade that went through. Uh, did you guys see the news break on uh, NFL Live with Schefter? That was pretty funny, the reaction. Oh, God. And I'm like, I know Kobe loving this right now because just how much you love Adam Schefter. What do you do? It's crazy. <laughs> Adam, Adam Schefter didn't do like anything too funny, but the reactions from like uh, – you know, Orlovsky and live? Nina and Laura. Yeah, they what, were what, Like, what did he get up and go answer the phone? There's breaking news right now. He had two phones in his hands. And this, this is all just coming in, coming in right now. And he kept repeating himself, and he was just in his glory. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. He's lucky the, he didn't. the Packers, everybody. <laughs> he's lucky he didn't have to stand up mid-announcement. Yeah. Let's just say that. Because he, he probably had a half job going for Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'm gonna look up on Twitter, dude. The reaction, the reaction picture of like all of them is uh, is pretty funny. Mina and Dan and uh, Mark Spears and all of them. But uh, as far as the NCAA is concerned, we've got some cool stuff to talk about today um, and some interesting things. There are new rules concerning the clock and first downs um, that we're gonna break down a little bit later after a conversation with David. That is that first downs, other than within two minutes of each half the clock is no longer going to stop. So they're uh, mirroring the rule at the NFL level, which is very interesting. Uh, and we'll talk about why potentially they're doing that and also the effect it'll have on the game. That is happening at the Division One and Division Two levels, but not Division Three. They rejected that proposal, which is uh, very interesting in itself. The SEC is going to try and punish schools for storming the field. Uh, they've been fining them in the past. We're going to be looking at a couple different ways they plan to punish them, like very severely for having students rush the field after games. Uh, their commissioner, Greg Sankey, and others got together to talk about that. And finally, Texas is getting a new $70 million practice facility. So Practice? Wow. Practice facility. What? And Arizona terrible uniforms. The Arizona. <laughs> That's kind of old news at this point, but yeah. yeah. Arizona did release some uh, interesting. Some defaults. Unis. Yeah. That looks like. A Fortnite skin of an NFL player. It does. They say it the really home does. the home jerseys look like um <laughs> it really like does. Utah. Yep. The away jerseys look like San Francisco. They don't even throwbacks. look as good as Utah though. And that the black jerseys look like Ohio State black jerseys. Yes, they do. They definitely do now that you say that. Yeah, but there's a thing on Twitter about that. So, uh -huh. but as always, uh, you can watch the episode on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, you can fast forward to any of that stuff that we just talked about. Use the timestamps, that little red sliding bar at the bottom of the video. You can listen pretty much anywhere: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, also TikTok. But first, fellas, let's go talk to David Gregory about all things being an agent and an NIL business owner. Joining the show tonight, 
a man representing many players that fit the very criteria of this show, himself being one of them at one point, an NMU football alumni spearheading Bull Rush Sports Agency. It's David Gregory. Hey, Kobe. Thank you. I'm 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 a proud D1 reject myself. Oh yeah. Uh, I played football at NMU from 1987 to 91. Wasn't good enough to play Division One, but had a great experience. Some of my teammates made the NFL, so. There's some talent here in Division That's Two, what it's right? All about. I'm gonna say you got and, the helmet. Let's, yeah, let's. And see I'm it. proud. I'm proud. I got my Look old, the old Wildcat. That is the old retro. Wildcat, not the new one. Um, I, the new one's growing on me, but uh, that's I not even what I think it. many people would call the quote-unquote old logo. The one that was just replaced, what, like a like not less than a decade ago. That's yeah. That's throwing it way back. I like that though. I like that look. We might have to bring that back around for a special line of merch or something. Yeah, well, it was, uh, and uh, I don't know if the camera can pick it up, but it's uh, oh, it's pretty yeah, scuffed up, and we blocked with our head. Holy we shit. used our head back then, so that's good, dude. Oh. And war paint was, uh, you know, a, a, a sign of pride. But anyways, yeah, I like that. Um, and like you had said, you know, to kind of jump into it, former football guy, you didn't. Uh, make the jump right into representation off the bat. Now, you and I had talked about before kind of your background, being a lobbyist, being down in Lansing in that environment. I'd have to assume that that played a pretty large role in getting over to, I guess, jumping the other side of the fence as far as sports representation goes. Yeah, I was a lawyer and a lobbyist. Well, I still am a lawyer, but, uh, you know, I worked uh, in Lansing at a firm, uh, was a partner, managing partner. I worked there for 23 years and, uh, Basically, at the end of 21, and I decided I'd had enough. It, it was a great 23 years, but not many people do the same thing at the same place for over 20 years. Yeah. So I sold my interest. I knew that I wanted to be involved in athletics again, uh, you know, because I had such a good experience. And then I, you know, NIL was just coming online. And, uh, you know, with my love of football, I thought I could become a football agent, maybe do some NIL work. It'd be a nice combination of, sports background, legal background, business background, and try to bring it all together. I like that, man. Any way you can get back into it, too. I think that's kind of the beauty of athletics is there's so many opportunities for guys there and, and girls that are former players that are trying to stick around and be around the game. I know, like, personally, that's something that I'm trying to do in, in many ways a different respect than what you're doing. But either way, it's just awesome that that can happen for so many former athletes. Now, what goes into – for people who might be interested in doing that and making that jump, whether it be right out of college or maybe, you know, down the road, what goes into being verified, getting vetted by uh, the NFL and pro football in order to have the ability to represent some of these athletes? Yeah, there's a process. Every league's different. But, but generally speaking, in most of the major league sports, you have to be certified by the players' union. Okay. And they have certain criteria. Uh, in the NFL, you're certified by the NFLPA, Players Association. It's a union. You have to um, you have to have an advanced degree. They'll make some exceptions, but you generally have to have a law degree or a master's degree. Interesting. You pass a background check. You, of course, you pay twenty five hundred bucks. Uh, you also have to take an exam. Damn. The exam is sixty questions, last three hours. It's on the collective bargaining agreement, which is over four hundred pages long, <laughs> and the pass rate is less than forty percent. Wow. So that's less than a bar exam. I, I think some people just think they can wing it yeah. and even some smart lawyers and stuff. I think they think they can wing it and then they find out they can't. So I took a course uh, and I studied very seriously and, and, and just didn't want to do it again because they only offer it once a year. Yeah. 
damn, man, that is something. I know, like, for me, just to fly a fly a drone commercially, right, to get the license through the FAA, like, you're paying a couple hundred bucks. You have to go take an exam and that. And, like, again, people could take it as a joke. I'm in here studying for weeks just to get this little piece of paper that says I can fly the drone that I bought, like, just to the, the upteenth level. Um, through well, that hey, process, I, I, spent, I spent a long time as a lobbyist and a regulatory guy. So, you know, if there's regulations, I take it seriously. Yeah. I, I do the paperwork and I get it done. I mean, that's what you want from someone in that position, right? That's got to be part of your – you're selling, I mean, for lack of a better term, you're selling to these athletes like, hey, you know, as I am, you know, just kind of really fresh onto this whole agent role and this representation, my background really isn't that different as far as going through the nitty gritty, knowing the rules, reading through these these official documents and, and representing, it might have not been athletes, but you're certainly representing other people in, with your background. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> representing clients, corporations, individuals, trade associations, school districts, hospitals, and I was marketing their ideas or their policies to legislators or government officials. Yeah. Now I'm marketing players and their abilities and their capabilities and their potential to teams uh, and then keeping up, helping them stay within the rules. It's uh, very similar in that in a big picture way to what I was doing before. Yeah, I totally I bet, man. And it's something that you and I haven't talked about um, nearly as much is the NIL company. And with you started that with a uh, partner, excuse me. And uh, how does being an agent and organizing those kind of deals, how does that go hand in hand? Is it as kind of seamless as a transition as someone from the outside would expect? Because it feels like, you know, as you're representing a player like that, there shouldn't be really anybody else that would be better suited to handle those type of deals or negotiations. Yeah, but it's also, <clears throat> you'd think in the surface, yes, but it's also a different skill set. It's a okay. related skill set. Maybe there's co concentric circles with some crossover and, and, and a lot of it outside the crossover, but it's just basic, you know, athlete marketing at, you know, and that's really all it is. Yeah. But uh, it, it is a somewhat a different skill set than being an agent and helping them get ready for the draft and then looking at rosters and then negotiating contracts and, and dealing with injury issues. Um, Again, some people do both, and there's some crossover, but I, I think there's also some some real different school uh, skill sets at work. And talk about, I mean, we'll talk about your clientele, this first inaugural class that you have, and the first thing we'll notice, and a big reason why you're on the show is, like, these aren't household name guys, right? Like, these aren't guys that have been, for the most part, the like the cream of the crop, the talk of this draft, right? And we'll talk about some guys who have been uh, that you are yep. representing, which is really exciting. But talk about the misconception that, NIL is for the 1%, for the household names. And I think that is something that as we get further and further into this, that notion is being thrown out the window. Yeah, that's not been my experience. That's not been my uh, experience so far. Our other company is called Athletic Influencer Marketing or AIM. And our premise is any athlete, any sport, any level can make up to $1,000 a month or more in NIL income. Man. That's a Division Three lacrosse player. Uh, that's somebody in not, that's somebody at a big school who's in a non-revenue sport. Um, you know, the reality is there's just tremendous opportunities because athletes are influencers by their nature. Yep. And even if they don't have a huge following, they have a more intense following than the average social media figure. Uh, they, they, they have more engagement. They have five times the engagement rates of other influencers. Man. So they can be an influencer, even in a, 
college community or back in their high school community, or maybe it's a niche sport like rowing that's affluent and brands want to market into it. And there's a really intense following. So, uh, you know, a small college athlete, a non, you know, a non-glamour sport athlete doesn't have to put some effort into it. Yep. But if you are willing to put some effort into it, there's opportunities for, again, any athlete, any sport, any level. And I will say female athletes. If you take away football and basketball, football in particular, female athletes are way outperforming male athletes. Really? Uh, be because they're probably more mature and getting their work done, number one. Number two, um, women are younger women are more adept at social media on average than young men, at least generally speaking. I think that's fair, yeah. And 70% of NIL deals right now are social media based. Mm -hmm. So- Tremendous opportunity. Those are some good stats. I like that. And I, those are like some new ones from you, which I think is great. Um, and especially being at Division Two, kind of in that in-between is, you know, even with the scholarships, like the money is there, the kind of that uh, that status starts to get there at Division Two, And I think, uh, you know, how athletes leverage that is very interesting at the different levels. Now, without giving away like, you know, your whole bag of tricks, like all the secrets and everything, because obviously you're not giving out like, right free everything today, but how do, what is your best advice for athletes to leverage that following, to include, increase that engagement, excuse me, and really capitalize on that status that they have? Well, I do think you have to pick a, pick a, so I would say pick a social media channel <clears throat> that you're comfortable with, uh, whether it's YouTube or, or Instagram or, or TikTok and post regularly and develop a, a voice that's authentic to you. Talk about a subject. It could be your sport. It could be fashion. It could be a cause you believe in. Uh, it could be a course of study. But talk to people. Let them into your life on a topic that is important to you and, and be real and, and be consistent. Um, and then by doing that, if you build an audience, you're just that much more likely than if you go out and talk to brands uh, and uh propose some ideas. And if you're division two brands probably aren't going to come to you. Yeah. But if you go out and seek brands and you've got a good social media following, you can show them some metrics. Um, you can show them your engagement rates and your stats. You can go out and get some local deals tomorrow. Mm -hmm. How much of a, a factor last kind of piece that I'm just, I'm just genuinely curious because how much of a factor does your market have to play in this? Someone being like in Northern Michigan university where in your Marquette and outside of Marquette, the market for that type of thing might be a lot smaller than other places. How big of a factor do you think that plays in generating some of those deals? Well, it's a factor, but there are companies in Marquette. Of course. There yeah. are, there are restaurants, there are bars, there are clothing stores. I mean, you can't do bars. I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> you know, there are employers who, there are companies that advertise with the university athletic department. Yep. They obviously have an interest in reaching people that watch athletics. So even, I think athletes, in my experience, athletes in even smaller communities than Marquette can do NIL deals. Now they're not going to do Bryce Young, Alabama <laughs> NIL deals. Yeah. But you know what? What if you made 500 or 1,000 a month? Sounds pretty I, good. How, how much you made that? Would that make a difference in your day-to-day -day uh, life? I think you know the answer to that one, yeah. <laughs> it would. <laughs> it would have made a hell of a lot of difference in my That'd life. That would be awesome. And I think you develop, more importantly, you develop some skills and yep. some contacts for, you know, your career after sports. Yeah. And you, no, you do a great a job point. of that. You don't need that 
but a lot of people do. I get it. No, I appreciate that. But I, I totally understand that that's another side of it too is like this isn't really about the money at the end of the day. And also with people I've talked to, like if you're an athlete in that situation, like you had said, I think the, the point about having an authentic voice and being true to you is super is super crucial because you come back and an employer is looking at a resume in 15 years and you're like, you endorsed this back when you were playing lacrosse, back when you were playing basketball. Like, what do you what do you say about that? So whatever it is, be genuine, be authentic, but we can talk more about And be your... consistent. Be, be yes. consistent. And, and you know what? I, I, another thing, I'll give you another tip. I love People it. love, I, I, I've got an athlete I worked with at, at University of Michigan and okay. um, he plays football and he's, he's not a star, but you know, he has a good social media following and his sister did a, uh, uh, I think an Instagram reel on dropping him off for early campus first year of football. And it was his lifelong dream to go to U of M. His family all went to U of M and, you know, she hugged him and cried when they dropped him off. And I mean, they came to me and said, boy, we got more reaction to that video than anything we've ever done. I'm saying, yeah, because it's behind the scenes that people don't get to see. And it's real emotion yeah. that people can relate to. People want the real story about what is it like to be a college athlete? Um, what are the pressures like? What is your schedule like? What does it feel like before a big game? What does it feel like after you win, after you lose? You know, let people in a little bit. Um, and some people don't want to, and that's fine. But if you are willing to do that and put yourself out there, I think you can get a really tremendous reaction and you can find brands and deals that work for you. I like that. That's good. No, that's good advice. Um, but to shift onto your class of athletes you're representing right now, uh, yes. some of these guys, like I said, in kind of the intro, probably not going to hear their name called, right, as far as the draft right. is concerned. How does that process look look after the draft as far as continuing to follow up with teams, getting them an opportunity, whether that be in the NFL, whether that be in another one of the pro leagues, how does that process look like? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. It's, it's pretty interesting. In fact, an agent, an agent, some of their most, uh, some of the busiest part of the draft will be about when the fifth or sixth round um, starts to wind down. You'll start getting a lot of calls from teams and, and, and you have some ideas who in advance for your guys who have priority free agent grades. Okay. They're not guys. Uh, there's some, in some cases, they're guys that have draftable grades. They're good enough. They were graded by some teams to at least be a sixth or seventh rounder. And we only have seven rounds in the draft, Yep. but they didn't get drafted or they're just on that cut. Uh, they're called priority free agents and they're good players. And the really good ones in that group are called priority free agents. And the calls will start before the draft's over. And then they'll really pick up and be a frenzy for two or probably three to five hours after the draft is complete on Saturday and it will continue into Sunday and Monday of, you know, hopefully I've got some guys where four or five teams are calling them, maybe more, Yep. but four or five teams have said, uh, Hey, Dallas Dixon, wide receiver from CMU. We really like you. We think you got a chance to at least compete for a roster spot and we want to get you in a 90 man roster in an early camp. And some of these guys will get signing bonuses uh, that could be five, 10 or 20,000 or more. That's awesome. Uh, some guys that are really in demand could get some of their rookie contract salary guaranteed. Really? So they could get 50,000 guaranteed whether they make the roster or not. Um, but there's a feeding frenzy right as the draft gets over and as it ends 
of all the guys who didn't get drafted but are uh, you know, priority free agent guys, they're going to get signed by teams and you're going to have to field multiple officer offers in a short period of time as soon as the draft's over. Talk about behind the scenes. That's that's interesting stuff, man. I've never heard about guaranteed money for, you know, undrafted free agents. Like that stuff is that's interesting, but like you said, even though the draft is over, there's certainly still a market for those guys because teams acknowledge they have talent. Um, it could be depending on the situation, they just didn't want to risk one of those earlier draft picks for a guy like that. Um, and as far as division two goes specifically, uh, you had shot over some numbers about how, how many guys will you know, on average, end up on those rosters. But this year in particular, you had called it a four-person race to be the first D2 guy off the board. So talk to me about – and we've yeah. talked about all four of these guys on the show, but talk to me about um, what those guys bring to the table. And uh, one of them is under your representation, which is awesome. Yeah, well, uh, glad to do it. Um, there's about – on average, in any given year, there's about 50 guys on uh, – Division two players on 53-person rosters in the NFL. Yeah. It's about 3% of the league. It goes up, it goes down. But I think the four-person race this year is Jake Witt, offensive tackle, NMU, my personal favorite because he's my (laughs) client, my first client. Ours too. Um, Ours too. uh, Caleb Murphy, uh, edge uh, edge rusher from Ferris State. I just saw Caleb at the the Ferris State spring game. He he was the the first non-FBS player to win the Ted Hendricks Award, all-time single-season sack leader, all levels of college football. Uh, I think he's in the mix to be the first D2 player drafted. Yep. Then I listed uh, also Joey Fisher, offensive tackle, probably will play guard at the next level. He's from Shepard. He's about 6'4", 300, very athletic, very strong. Not quite as athletic as Jake, but pretty darn athletic and a good player. Uh, and then and Marte Mapu uh, is a linebacker from Sacramento State. Um Another name I'd throw in there, a possibility to get drafted, maybe not the first one, would be uh, David Durden, wide receiver, West Florida. West Florida. I watched him against Ferris State in the playoffs, and he was torching the best defense in the country. He's a stud. And then he got hurt. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying it would have won had he not got hurt, but I think the game would have been closer because the guy's a player. <laughs> I so, totally uh, agree with that. We just had uh, Pee Wee Jarrett on the podcast, the quarterback from West Florida, just a little while back, too. And I know okay. that's something that um, those Fair State and uh, West Florida matchups, not something you get every year, but the last couple of meetings they've had have been awesome. And I think, you know, whenever we get that matchup is, is pretty sweet. So that, that game in particular was, like you said, could have been very much the other way around, given a few plays here or there. Yep. Yeah. David Durden's a heck of a player. And, and then there's some other guys. I, and I think probably some other names you mentioned. And again, I'm not, not talking about my clients right now, but yeah, probably names you've mentioned on the show. Maybe they're borderline get drafted guys, probably priority free agent guys. That's Quentin Barrow, uh, offensive tackle, Grand yep. Valley. Um, uh, Brent Lang, Brent Lang, guard Duluth. from Minnesota Duluth, probably a priority free agent, uh, but, but went to the Shrine Bowl, went to the combine. Uh, and then uh, Cy Barnett from from Davenport yep. just ran some kind of like a four three eight forty or something at Are his pro days. Insane numbers. Yeah, Tyson Bajant got to be on that list as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. Tyson Bajant played in the Senior Bowl, and I think he might get drafted, probably sixth or seventh round, maybe fifth. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Trevor Nowaski, I think, who you had on the show from Saginaw Valley. Trevor's I mean, the man. He ran a four or five. I mean, he got himself on the radar. Is he a priority free agent? Probably, but he's going to get a shot. Yeah, for sure. And 30% of the league 
25 to 30 percent of the league is undrafted free agents. Think about that. That's 25 to 30 percent of the guys on the 53 man rosters. They weren't drafted. So yeah, you don't almost have to one be in three. Like team. that's that's insane. Like those numbers are crazy. And it's you're right. And that's why there is that market, right? Because those guys have shown that you know, while you can't, you're not going to hit on every single one of them. There certainly is a market there because of the you know the staying power of those type of guys, and they just find their way to year after year stick around on those rosters and, and make plays. More importantly, so that is. Uh, that's pretty sweet. We can touch more specifically, though, on Jake quickly, who certainly yeah. the last month has generated a ton of buzz because of, one, his unique story, right? The kind of the underdog story that um, everyone loves, but also the fact that he has the numbers, he has the freak athleticism. We've talked about it at nauseum uh, on this show, but right off the bat, projections for him, you know, obviously you're in his corner and you should be very confident about it, of course, but when can we expect to hear the man's name called? Well, I will give you projections that I've heard from the teams, from the scouting departments, okay. and assistant GMs, not my own. I'll end with my own projection. Okay, good. Gotcha. I'd say two third. We've talked to 31 of the 32 teams on some capacity, Man. at least a Zoom meeting and interview, sometimes much more than that. Um, the majority, the 70% majority is that he has a day three grade. Uh, that's that's rounds four, five, six, and seven, yep. Saturday. A few teams have them as high as round four. I'd say more of the majority say round six or seven. Okay. Um, but two-thirds to 70% of the teams we've talked to, which is basically two-thirds of the league, say he's a day three draftable player, going to get drafted. And yep. that's the quote in the Dane Brugler profile in The Athletic Yep. from, a, from an anonymous scout. Uh, now about 30% of those teams say, well, we've got a priority free agent grade on him. And if he doesn't get drafted, boy, here's the pitch about why you ought to sign with team X. Here's our opportunity. Here's our bonus situation. Here's our, our guarantee salary guarantee, or we don't do salary guarantees. So we've gotten that pitch uh, from a handful of teams. Yeah. So I think he's going to get drafted. I hope it's round four or five. Might be around six or seven, and it's possible he'll be a priority free agent. And if he is, he'll have at least twenty teams calling him. I'm so saying he's gonna get a shot. Bad. He'll get a shot either way. And I know, like, yeah. man, whoever, whenever that name gets called, there's gonna be a big celebration up here. And even if that's after the draft is over, I mean, it's gonna be awesome. But to close, um, you know, not you're not only representing Jake. Talk a little bit about some of the other guys you have uh, in Bull Rush Sports. I know Davenport's got some representation on there, guy from Northern State. You had mentioned Dallas earlier from Central, um, and even more than that. So touch on, you know, kind of rounding yeah. out the rest of that class. Yeah, and it's, it's my first uh, – it's our first uh, inaugural draft class. We're really excited. Yeah. And, you know, you get certified in October, and uh, you're not supposed to recruit players beforehand. And being the rule follower I am, I didn't. So, uh, <laughs> you know. Hey, I'm not going to get Bryce Young. I knew that, but kind of like, you know, I, I focused a lot of smaller school guys, some some diamonds in the rough, if you will. Yep. Uh, Dale Sticks and wide receiver CMU. I call him the comeback kid. He went to, he started at NMU. Yep. Um, and transferred to Central Michigan from Arizona. And really he had 20 yards of catch a couple years ago, was, uh, had multiple touchdown games in 2021, was preseason All-Mac. Hurt his shoulder in game two. Uh, torn labrum, had to have surgery. Um, so he probably went from a guy that maybe that's a day three guy and we're really looking at him to, okay, now he's a priority free agent type. Yep. Uh, 
So he's training up in Marquette with, with Jake at Advantage Sports. And uh, I think he's a priority free agent guy. He also went to the Cardinals uh, uh, local pro day uh, because he's from, he's from Phoenix originally. Gotcha. A uh, couple Davenport guys. I got uh, Malik Barrow, defensive tackle and edge player from Davenport. Uh, played at Ohio State, was a four-star recruit coming out of IMG Academy in Florida. Had a, had a knee injury at Ohio State. Uh, only played one. He was out of football and then played one year at Davenport. Played really well. And he went to the Collegiate Gridiron Showcase CGS down in Fort Worth. Yep. And he got promoted from the small college showcase to the main showcase by only about 12 guys got that. And that was a vote of uh, this, all the scouts in attendance. All 32 teams were there. So obviously scouts are aware of him. They like him. Good. Uh, Br- Brendan Bowman. He played, he's from Davenport. I call him Mr. Versatile. <laughs> he, uh, he played tight end at Davenport. He played defensive tackle. He played defensive end. He pretty much did anything. I, I view him as an H back potentially at the next level. Um, he made Dane Brugler's uh, beast list in the athletic as an edge player. Uh, so again, I think he's another free agent type. Uh, last two that I have in this draft class are Luke Chul. He is an edge rusher from Northern State, uh, which is in South Dakota. Yep. And uh, NMU's playing. You guys are playing. Uh, Northern I would say State last game year. of the year this year. Uh, so it's a good. They come good here program. though, thankfully. Yeah. Um, and he's a pass rusher. He's bat- battled some injuries. Uh, he went to CGS also. Uh, interesting background on him as his family emigrated to, to the United States from Sudan, war-torn yeah. Sudan when he was three. Uh, great kid, and I think he's got real potential. He's talked to several teams, and, and I, th- I feel good he'll get in the camp. Uh, last one, last but not least, is Tyler King. Not Tyshawn King. Nope. Tyler yeah. King. Not to be confused. Yeah. Tyler King is from that Lakeland, Florida area where they, you know, that part of Florida, they produce football players. He, he, he ended up at Edward Waters University, a small HBCU in Jacksonville. He used to be at Marshall. He was a leading rusher at Marshall. And he spent one year at Edward Waters. This year, he was the MVP of the HBCU Pigskin Classic. That's historically black colleges and universities. Yep. He then got invited to the uh, HBCU uh, Legacy Bowl in New Orleans and the HBCU Combine. Uh, he's very explosive. He made Steve Weish's uh, list of the top players at the HBCU Legacy Bowl. Steve Love from it. the NFL Love Network. It. Very explosive. 36-inch um, vertical, uh, 10-7 broad, and he's got like a 1-5-1, 10-yard split. Damn. Super, super explosive. Real fast burst. I think he could return kicks, too. Um, I love so it. That's, that's my first draft class, and I'm excited for all of them. I'm excited to, to see where those guys end up. And, I mean, like we said, maybe not the biggest profile guys, but each of them, I mean, they still have these accolades that stack up with guys at other levels. And I think that's super important, especially for scouts, because that's what they want to see, right, is they want to see them match up with the competition that they're going to inevitably be facing at the next level. But, David, cannot say how much I appreciate you coming on here. Like I told you beforehand, your perspective is greatly appreciated, my man. Well, hey, I appreciate it, Kobe. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I love the show. I know you've gotten some flack, too, for calling it D1 Rejects, <laughs> but that's obviously people who have no sense of humor whatsoever. Thank you. Uh, and they don't, they, and they obviously never listen to you in the spirit in which you say that. You take yeah. ownership of it that, hey, we are who we are. we got a lot of great stories and a lot of great talent. Uh, 
all over uh, Division Two, Division Three, FCS, whatever, NAIA. NAIA. Yeah. There's a million great stories out there, and a million great kids, and you're one of them. I appreciate you, man. Seriously. You keep representing them, too. I'm excited to see where these guys all end up. All right. Hey, and Jake Witt, I, I, he's going to get drafted. be the first time anybody from NMU got drafted since 1991. No, 1990. 91 draft, my teammate Mark Maddox. Book it. Book it right now. It's happening. I'm it's pumped. happening. I'm pumped. Thank you, David. I'll be in touch, man. I'll see you. All right. Thanks, Kobe. Appreciate it. Big thank you to David Gregory for coming on the show. And uh, before we get into some good college football talk, fellas, we had a pretty cool announcement. I just wanted to to shout out this guy. Let's see. Let me pull it up right here. But uh, I'd like to shout out D2 guys giving a shot at the pros. Ralph Singleton, former Valdosta State offensive lineman, just signed with the Toronto Argonauts. So that was a pretty sweet deal that just broke um, earlier today. His one of his teammates, the quarterback from Valdosta State as well, is actually signing with. It's, what is the what are the elk in the CFL? Uh, Edmonton is it the Edmonton elk? Uh, Anybody no help idea. me? No, no idea. <laughs> Either way, two Valdosta guys getting a shot at the CFL, which is um, obviously something I just wanted to highlight. Um, I hit him up. We'll see if we can't get him on the show to talk about it. I would definitely be um, excited to do so. But uh, as we get into the bigger college football scene, the NCAA is speeding up the game. And we talked about it in the intro. They are going to run the clocks after first downs with the NCAA changing what has been a half-century-old rule to mirror their NFL proponents. Um, This has been the rule since 1968. Yeah, it's wild. And... It'll be enforced in all divisions except Division Three, which actually rejected the proposal. So Division One FBS, Division One FCS, and Division Two will all be uh, taking on this rule, and that is the clock will continue to stop after first downs uh, during the final two minutes of each half only. So other than that, the clock's going to be uh, picking up. And we had talked about—I know Ty, you and I talked about this a little bit—but they're expecting, on average, the games will be reduced by seven plays. Hmm. Which, when you think about it is a decent chunk of time because it's not really just that like six to 10 seconds of football, right? But it's right. the play clock leading up to that. It's any timeouts or penalties or whatever that could be included in those seven plays. And uh, I guess just general thoughts on this rule, fellas, anything kind of jump out to you? I mean, I mean the they really just said 1968 and they haven't changed shit from it. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, no one else has seen it. They just like saying, I guess like reduce player injuries. It's gonna be less plays. I don't know how. I don't know. You, cause to me, I don't know. The game go by fast <laughs> when you playing, anyways. Maybe it's more for the viewers. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, it's. It, I would assume it's with the audience in mind. And like you said, you touched on uh, player safety was actually part of that emphasis and that seven less plays per game. I mean, technically, yes, that is seven less opportunities that somebody could go out there and get themselves hurt. Um, but also, I think the bigger picture side of it is that faster games, right? We've seen with the MLB this year, which has been plagued by this long drawn out game problem, much worse and for much longer than college football. I don't think that really has been brought into the question for college football. Um, but with if anything, you want the college games to be longer. You think so? For the viewers. Really? Not for the, maybe not for the viewers, but for the advertisers and for the broadcasting companies, maybe, but people, not for the viewers. People love watching college football. Yeah, but people would also probably appreciate the games were quicker. Don't you think? Yeah, no. I don't know. Maybe the games that start on the West Coast and around at 11 o'clock at night. I was going to say, that's what you got to think about too. Is Utah the, State versus yeah. Nevada. You know what I mean? Pac-12 after dark yeah. or like those uh, midnight match and like 
You know what I mean? Like at random times, like Wednesday during the week, you have a, a night game, like right. some stuff like that, where I think it definitely will come into play. But um, how much do we expect this to change as far as offense, defense, like the dynamic of the games? Does it change at all? Do you scheme a little bit differently knowing this or no? Hell no. I don't think so either. You just kind of have in the back of your mind. Yeah. You say you lose seven plays. That's what they think. It, it's all subjective to the game. I think that's fair. But I mean, like you said too, like the clock's still going to stop uh, within two minutes of each half. So it's not like it's um, totally gone. That would be ridiculous because then you take out like a two minute drill. Like now, the only thing I can think of is like um, like a four minute drill or something like that could be affected kind of yeah. with, with these type of situations. So I definitely think game planning will have to change a little bit, knowing the rules and kind of understanding that. But as far as the game, a big picture, I don't think it's going to be too crazy or too detrimental to uh, the style of play. But Let's move on. <clears throat> the SEC. They're considering punishments for fans storming the field. Mm. And very interesting article I read earlier today, and it's due to, quote, safety concerns. The SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, is, is bringing together a group to discuss potential ways to discourage storming the fields uh, other than fines because these big-time schools are just absolutely ignoring the fines uh, that come along with storming the field. And I guess the most notable... Field stormage is that the correct like verbiage? The most notable field good. stormage is it, is uh, it uh, Tennessee or Ole Miss that took the flagpole? Tennessee, yeah. and so we're gonna watch that um, actually here in just a second. Goalpost food. That's pretty funny. Um, but this is something that uh, you know has come to the forefront because of. Really, mostly of videos like this, and this you can see as I pull it up here for the viewers. Uh, before I play it, guys, is the field scene after Tennessee upsets Alabama, correct? And they storm the field and take the goalposts, and all these crazy things are going on. And the camera here, you see who it uh, pans up to the president and see what he says. Uh, hold on, let me unmute it on my end. There we go. How much is that going to cost? It doesn't matter. It costs every year. <laughs> That's right. I'll play it one more time. Randy, how much is that going to cost? It doesn't matter. That's funny, dude. Randy, how much is that going to cost? It, it, cigar in hand. It doesn't matter. We'll play it every year. It doesn't matter. We'll play it every year. <laughs> we don't get damn true how much cost. We want to do more that for you there. that. Roll tide, roll nothing. Go big orange. Yeah. <laughs> big orange. <laughs> dude, but he's, uh, he's right. Like, you would pay whatever fine in the world to have that moment for your school because that's branding, that's bringing in money itself, right? You're, that's like selling your program. And I love how nonchalant and also how removed he is, right? Like, he's obviously in his like big president suite, which is hilarious to me. I love that video. Yeah, he don't give a shit. <laughs> he got money coming out everywhere, bro. He don't. We pay it here. We don't get a damn two number to go. I just cut to his face while you're doing that. So that way, you know, kind of. We don't get a damn two to go. We pay it here. Brass Young, no. Go volunteers! So, uh, getting into more of the... Let's see here. <laughs> more of the actual details as far as the punishments are concerned that the SEC is considering. Um, the Vols were hit with a $100,000 fine this past year. And that was the fine that he said, you know, does not matter. We will literally pay that every year if this is kind of, uh, you know, the response that we get in the branding and the national attention that we get the SEC believes the sentiment like Boyd's is 
super common. And it seems that the fines just really aren't the deterrent that the league is really needing uh, in this experience. They've been looking for some type of steeper punishment that could, uh, you know, really veer teams away from having this type of activity. But the one that they're really considering, the suggestions, is a loss of a future home SEC game. Wow. I think that would do that it. Would, that would be fucked. I think that would really do it. Freaked, yeah. Katie, uh, freaked. That, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, but, like, in this case, right, Tennessee versus Alabama, the Vols would play their regularly scheduled 2023 game at Alabama and then lose their 2024 home scheduled game against the Crimson Tide. They'd go back and play at Alabama again. And then, obviously, since the schedule goes back and forth, they'd play there again in 2025. So you'd be playing in Alabama 2023, 24, and 25. And I think that is something that certainly would deter some athletic programs from kind of, you know, this type of activity. But um, I don't know. What do you guys think? They're they're not going to stop a bunch of 18-year-old drunk males and females from running on the field. But think about it's how much money they're losing. Who? The schools. By not hosting a game like that, the the money, the branding, the – um, just national attention that they're losing if you don't host those type of games. Yeah, for sure. But it's not the president running on the field. <laughs> you're not going to stop 100,000 people. Yeah. I don't care how much security you got. You're not stopping them from yeah. getting on the field. That's that. That's, that's why it's kind of messed up that's because drunken, it's drunken. nothing that they're going to be able to do. They drunk out of their mind. <laughs> if they, they stole a goalpost from an NCAA <laughs> institute and then threw it in a river, you think they're not going to get on the field? So this is the question I wanted to pose to you guys now. What type of barrier, barricade, obstacle, or deterrent do they need to have at every field to keep these drunk college kids from even making their way onto the turf? We know the row of hedges has not done it in the past. You get on the field, you expel. <laughs> and even that ain't enough because half the kids don't even go don't... to school. <laughs> they ain't going to school in no way. So... It ain't nothing they could do. To be honest, like it's crazy. It's are we gonna see? Are we going to see barbed wire around any gridirons? No, because some of the <laughs> some of the um some of the stands is too close to the field. Boy, been went for a damn pass, and he in a barbed wire fence because the quarterback can't aim. <laughs> That's the last thing we need. They I just heard gotta, they just got to do. They just got to be like, please don't, please don't storm. The field. If y'all don't storm the field, free tuition for everybody. <laughs> And they still go stole the field. They were getting the mascots involved. So at Georgia, Ugga, they brought in his old his whole family, all of his brothers and sisters that will be patrolling the sidelines and attacking anyone who comes out. And Ralphie the Buffalo at Colorado will personally be spearheading the first <laughs> spectator to make their way past the sideline. Dude, Colorado, it's just- I got a couple homies that'll put uh Ralphie on a uh living room mantle. <laughs> <laughs> go around here. Go dares. <laughs> He come out there with the with the matador, Sebastian. right? The matador. Like we don't red. care about none of that. We pay that fine every year. We don't give a damn to you. How much it costs? Go long arms. <laughs> Go buffs. I'm gonna get up there and ride it. Go buffs. <laughs> that, boy, that boy don't scare me none. <laughs> I'm prime town. You think I care about goddamn fine? He was scared of Ralphie though. I bet he was. Watch that video. He was scared of Ralphie. You guys were here for that one when he met the. I wasn't scared of no money. He's scared of that buffalo though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, we can we can move on our last piece of uh, college football today. That is Texas, and give me just a second as I pull this up, fellas. But holy shit! Shoot! Holy shoot! No! 
Holy shit, dude. Oh, my bad. Texas football has unveiled plans for its new $70 million practice facility. The university will begin destruction, not destruction, excuse me, construction by the end of 2023 and be done by 2025, shortly after the Longhorns joined the SEC, which is, I'm sure, a big part of this where a lot of the money type they're expecting it to come from, right? This first image, pretty badass. So you have the outdoor field connected directly next to that indoor field right there. I mean, it seems like a pretty seamless setup. Also, that row of windows in the back there kind of overlooking the field is pretty sick. Um, otherwise, we can kind of move forward in this. And Trevor and I were talking about this must be just the time of year where all these renders and new buildings get announced and yeah. released, right? Yeah, well, they, they, one person sees it like, oh, well, we got to do this now. And they're just everyone's one up each other with all of it. That's fair, but like these plans, like obviously they don't just happen in the yeah, last month or two. Advanced. Like these are no, they yeah, wake yeah. up like all right, we've got to get a new practice facility. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm Texas saying, saw TCU. Posting it. I'm saying posting it. No, that's fair, I guess. Um, but Texas saw TCU. Remember we reacted to that a little while ago, and they're like, "Well, what are we doing? Yeah, oh shit, <laughs> get something going." This is the inside of the indoor practice facility, and what the hell is out on the field? Cones. People. Those are Texas Longhorns. Are they in hazmat suits? No Longhorns. No, boy, they in all orange. Boy, the burnt orange. Texas. Texas what? Pride. And we always compare the renders and all these. <laughs> Texas Pride. Bro. Who? Is, what are those? <laughs> Watch how you talk about my people. It's Texas. You don't see uh, Sham Elliger in the flesh out there? <laughs> Sam Elliger throwing the... Could you name five oh, players in the Texas football team? Right now, today? That aren't in going into the draft. Five Texas players right now. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Um, Arch Manning. I wanted okay. to name uh, the easy. other one first. Bijan? Nico? No. no. Nicola Vellava? Boy, that's Tennessee. Oh, yeah. That's embarrassing. Um, He's got one. Xavier Worthy. Okay. Um, see, I couldn't, so I, don't, I, mean, I can't verify or deny these names either. So you could be just Ewing. totally bullshitting. Goddamn. I can't think of his first name, though. It ain't Ewing. But it started Patrick with, Ewing? No, fool. <laughs> Um, with the mullet, fam. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, you're talking about Quinn Ewers. Ewers, there we go. That's three. Okay, I helped Four. you. Um, they got a raw ass freshman. Word. He, rec- he receiver. I can't even. Hyatt. Oh, yeah. you want to draft? You want to draft? <laughs> it's Tennessee, dude. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> what the? Some Hyatt. Yeah, Hendon Hooker plays there too, right? Does Tariq Black play Texas at Tennessee too? <laughs> Anyways, you can think on that, but the point was, you know, Texas, for a guy like you, too, who knows names really well, like, this is the first time in a while I think I've actually got you stumped to think of names, because you're just oh good with that. God. You know what I mean? But that's proving my point in that, like, it's hard to really name a lot of guys that are relevant coming out of there right now. Bijan Robinson uh, has definitely been the talk of a lot of uh, draft discussions here, but we'll finish looking at this practice facility. The Longhorn in the back there on the graphic is pretty dope. Um here we have a better shot of that outdoor facility and these NPCs. Good Lord. I don't like this render. No, I don't like it either. The people are terrifying. It looks like a post-apocalyptic or like Nuketown. It's like a, in, like a, it's like a jail cell. They're on, they're on the yard time. <laughs> it does. Look at them. Holy shit, it does. Because <laughs> I don't know why. It's like I don't know how the NPCs can have body language, but they definitely do. Like they look pissed to be there. Head down. Yeah. And the way they're all, like, cordoned off on the right side there, like, they're, Jaleel like, in a Billingsley. line. No way. <laughs> That's a tight end. Yeah, he's good. There's one more. 
But yeah, so he that's transfer from Bama. Yeah. That is the uh he must be. That's the outside no, right there. Uh some people were surprised they only had one outdoor <laughs> field. Seven oh seven practice. This when he was committed to Alabama. I'm often to make a name for myself. Here's <laughs> did not work out. Bean top? I'm talking about ugly. Like how Julio Jones did Malcolm Butler. No. I swear I landed on my back. Everybody, ooh, if you know Midwest Boom, you know it get ugly out there. They out there. I was embarrassed. That's the, that's probably the only time I've ever been embarrassed on a football field. Thank you for sharing. Well, that. let me think of this first That takes courage. You back into thought. Anyways, this is the last picture. Um, just an overhead shot there. Pretty sweet stuff. I yeah. Nothing extraordinary. <laughs> no. $70 million, though. I don't know if their locker room and everything is attached in there as well. I guess we'll have to figure that out. But uh, we can move on, Ty, unless you have that final name. We can move on to the NFL side of things. Ajayi Hall was on Texas, but he got kicked off. Well, that doesn't count then, does it? All right, so let me find another receiver. <laughs> uh, Texans first. Do we stick on the Texas route, or do we go right to Aaron Rodgers? Texans it is. You didn't yeah, respond fast enough. Uh, so, talk about the Houston Texans. Everyone has just assumed they're going to be going for a quarterback in the upcoming draft. Dove Kleeman and others on the old tweet space have been circulating around some words that potentially not a lock for the Texans. He says here, the Texans are not scared to pass on a QB of the second overall pick of the draft and take a top defensive player per, that's what, Peter Schrager. Uh, the Texans would then use their 12th overall pick to take the quarterback instead. And then this last part says, the Texans might actually take Tyree Wilson over Will Anderson at number two per Peter as well. Peter might, may or may not Who's be celebrating... Peter? Peter Schrager, he's on, uh, okay. uh, uh, what is he, uh, Good Morning Football. I thought yeah. he just said, like, said fuck it and said Peter at the end. <laughs> he's just, per Peter, my yeah, boy. Peter. No, he, he tagged him uh, earlier on, I believe. I guess I can verify that uh, very quickly. <laughs> per Peter. Yeah, there you go. Peter Schrager. <laughs> my dog. First box, box per my homie. Good Morning Football. Uh, but I think Peter, in the second part of that statement, might have been celebrating 420 a little bit uh, post-maturely. Yeah. Because Peter. that is a crazy statement. What, did they say Tyree was I think so. No, not at all. You don't think that's ridiculous? No, they, the Texans they, aren't they, taking. They got, dude. If the Texans take a quarterback, they're f- <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> well, the problem is, um, CJ Stroud scored like really low on like some cognitive tests. Like, I did see that. Like, yes, historically low. Yeah. Are you serious? So, yeah, like eighteen out of like a hundred. Whereas like what? all the other quarterbacks did extraordinarily. He well. scored like fifty points less than like second to last place. Yeah. Like at least from bad. the guys that we were shown, you know what I mean, like yeah. in this in this class, just yeah. the quarterbacks at least. Yes. So like, I wonder what goes into those tests. Like, I know it don't even make third and one. The pressure comes off the edge. Where are you going? Yeah, Watch I would the, assume uh, it has game. to be very specific. Like, <laughs> and see where you go with third and one. I would assume it has to be very specific situations. You know what I mean to kind of grade their uh, problem solving and analysis and overall conceptual knowledge of the game, but. I would like to see that actually. What if we got someone on here that could break one of those down for us? Wait. But no, Tyree Wilson, they like Wait, they like the quarterback. They love Tyree Wilson because he. They don't, uh, they don't get the quarterbacks. Well, I, the quarterbacks. This is a quarterback only test because he um he like a really good run defender. Is he with a lot of pass rushing? He's outside. huge, bro. And he they is. say like he Will is. Anderson is just like a safe pick, but like they say, well, like, yeah, you think about where he's coming from too, obviously. So they say he would he would be the safe pick, but. They don't know how they don't know how good he'll be in the league versus like Terry Wilson got a lot of upside. Like right now, dude, I'm taking Anderson over Wilson right now after draft dude, tonight. Yeah, I would too. But Houston's that Houston could take uh, Wilson because that would mean that Anderson falls to the Lions. But either or, I mean, you're going to get a good player at number six. Um, even if it's Anderson, 
or even if it's Jalen Carter, people are obviously torn on that. I don't know how I feel about that one. I mean, again, cut the tape. Jalen Carter is a bear. He's a great player. You feel pretty good after you see him cover the the A gap. Yeah, but then you have these last month or so of what Jalen Carter's been in the news. Yeah, but even even Brad good. Holmes said it after he came and visited. We feel much better about him than what he did say that. Yeah, that's good. He said in a press conference. That's good. Um, Ow. What? My finger, bro. <laughs> I can't think of this little freshman receiver, and it's killing me, dog. And if I look up their roster, it's going to really piss me off. <laughs> Just know he a freshman. He hard. Little nigga hard. My bad. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, y'all. <laughs> the little dude hard. You mean little boy? That little boy hard. That little boy tough. <laughs> that little boy tough, for sure. He from down in uh, Georgia. He from old. Texas. Go orange. I can't think of his name, but he gonna go crazy in that burnt orange. Yeah, yes. He gonna be down there in Austin lighting up Oklahoma in the Red River Showdown. Get off! <laughs> go on, orange. <laughs> Let's talk about the man heading out of the NFC North. Uh, that is Aaron Rodgers. The Green Bay Packers and the New York Jets have made the blockbuster deal that has encapsulated pretty much the entire NFL offseason. Uh, and for the, it's, this is the leading article here on ESPN. It says, for the second time in 15 years, the Green Bay Packers are trading an aging icon to the New York Jets. So crazy. The other one being, obviously, Brett, Brett Favre. Favre yeah. And talk about, like, to the T, following that storyline for Aaron Rodgers <clears throat> and at this point in his career. That has to be somewhat intentional. At I mean, this point, knowing him, probably, yeah. There's no, like, coincidence aside, like, I cannot really understand that. Now, no, nah, it's, it's no other team that like got the roster that they got. The Jets. Ah, Jets hate Cook, <laughs> man. I couldn't think of his first name. You just gave someone a heart attack listening. Oh my! Almost God, me, God, bro. Yeah, that almost freaked me out. But I was sitting right here looking at him. And so. a Donnie Mitchell. Oh my! I'm terrible, bro. I feel so. <laughs> and BJ Allen Jr. I don't know that nigga. I mean, I don't know that dude. <laughs> Turn the mic off. Jesus. Uh, thank you for redeeming yourself, Ty. Uh, but we can take a look at uh, more of the specifics of the actual trade detail. And, fellas, let's see who broke the news on this one. Dove Kleeman? Nope. Uh, it's Schefter. We can take a look at We can take a look at Schefter's tweet. Um, there you have it. Right here, the Packers agreed Monday to deal quarterback Aaron Rodgers and their 2023 first-round pick, which is the number 15 overall, uh, and also a 2023 fifth-round pick to the Jets for New York's 2023 first-round pick. So they're swapping firsts there. Uh, New York's is number 13 compared to Green Bay's 15. And uh, they're also getting a... The Green Bay is getting a 2023 second-round pick and a 2023 sixth-round pick, as well as a conditional... 2024 second round pick that becomes a first if Rodgers plays 65% of plays this season is what Adam Schefter was told. I feel like 65% is a granted unless Zach Wilson comes out and actually makes life living hell for the veteran quarterback like he said he was going to. That's what I was like. The Jets got finessed. It kind of feels like it because like you talked about leverage, right? The Packers, they had no leverage. He He was already a headache. Before he uh didn't want to play for you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Now he's saying he's not playing for nobody but the Jets. Nobody else was gonna try to trade for Aaron Rodgers. They had all the leverage. It certainly feels like dude. to pick swap to I mean two spots, what do it really matter? No, yeah. 
But but the rest of it, the second round pick this year, the conditional too, a as conditional. Well. If Aaron Rodgers start for them next year, it's a first round pick. That's like sixty five percent. Come on, dog. not even like seventy five eighty. Like come on, dog. Sixty five. That's a little bit over half the season. That's barring like you know unless no he serious hurt, injuries, like, unless yeah. he get like real life injured. That's a gimme. And it, okay, even if it ain't, that's a second round pick for a thirty nine year old. It's not even guaranteed. A really talented thirty nine year old, but a thirty nine. It's not even a guarantee. 39. And it's not a guarantee Texas. that he going to play past this season. <laughs> no, there's not. He may go out there and be like, I can't do it no more. I'm done. He was contemplating retiring Blair. before this season. I'm going to go to the head out to the ranch and put my boots on. I'm done with this. And NFL. now you tell me Shot is supposed to be trying to go to New York. And what, are you going to turn his life around, man? Shot ain't trying to none of that. <laughs> it definitely does feel like Green Bay got the better half of this because I wanted Seriously. to ask you guys. You know, one, who won the trade, quote-unquote, won. But also, why do we think it took so long? And for me, it feels like Aaron had the luxury of it taking so long because he had already made his mind up he was going to the Jets. And he felt he had the leverage that he wasn't under any pressure to make this deal happen any sooner. And it Only kind Rogers, of also bro. feels like he just wanted to get payback at the Packers for the way they've handled things in the last couple of years. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but it feels like Aaron just took this time because he felt like he had that leverage. <laughs> what is it? I didn't see it. I'm gonna get out so you can see it. It is funny. I ain't gonna lie. What do we got? <laughs> it was a reaction to Schefter breaking the news on um, NFL Live. There's a lot of there's a lot of really good ones out there. That was pretty solid. Um, but back on back on topic, talk about why I feel like. Aaron definitely felt like he had the leverage, right, in this situation, and I think that was correct. Like like you said, Ty, like he was leveraging the situation, and Green Bay mm-hmm. had nothing else to do. I'm surprised they worked with the Jets to even get that much in return. Like, I would have, I, I swear on everything, if I was the Jets, I'm not calling them. I'm going to send them a text, like, so you ready? Yeah. Oh, we still need that second? All right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And the next day, come on, bro. You gave up four picks. We got to be better than that in New York. But it's New York, though. And they thirsty. Thirsty. They could have gave all up, all that up and got Lamar Jackson. That's also a really good question. Now, think about the paycheck that both of them are <clears> asking for. That might be a one-year rental. Could be. You'd rather run with him or Lamar? That's a good yeah, I mean, that's That's not a question for me, obviously. Yeah. Put me on the phone with the Jets GM. Yeah, exactly. Where Robert Sala at? After the trade, the Jets' odds at uh, Caesar Sportsbook to win the Super Bowl are 14-1, to 1, while the Packers are 50-1. to 1. Uh, Their odds <laughs> to make the playoffs are negative 150, while the Packers are at plus 170. Plus 170 seems way too positive. The, the Packers, Packers are plus 170? Yeah. To make the playoffs? That seems kind of ridiculous. Like, way too optimistic. Correct? What is it? Plus 170 to make the playoffs. What? Hey, yeah. Do they know something we don't? Yeah. Like, who are they saving? A secret weapon or something? Yeah. Jordan Love. <laughs> no. Packers getting it. Lamar? Word. Hell no. Please don't even speak no shit like that. <laughs> I ain't even apologizing for that one. Don't do that. Keep Lamar in the AFC. Uh, Jesus. Also, this has some big implications as God far as um, the prime time 
implications. Correct that uh, schedule is going to be released next month, and uh, they could play up to six primetime games, is what Schefter said. And honestly, and since Aaron is there, they might play all six of them. They, they, play seven. they might play seven. They might, and the Lions both, might get one. Both both um, Buffalo games are going to be primetime. One of the Miami games is going to be primetime. I think that's pretty that's pretty fair, yeah. Do they play on Thanksgiving? No, I don't think the Jets ever play on Thanksgiving. They'll that's three play. that's three of them right there yeah. off the rip. Both yep. the Buffaloes and one of the Miamis, if not both of them. I think you're spot on. The Giants. Hey, the nah, Lions, man. They don't make that promise. Huh? They always play in the daytime. The NFC NFC North road runs through Detroit. Wide open, baby. It certainly does. Um, what if y'all go five and two next year? Then I will. I'd be very disappointed. Like real. Like I'd actually be very disappointed. <laughs> I, I'd seriously consider myself as like a like a someone who knows what they're talking about in sports. <laughs> I seriously would. I have to take a long look in the mirror at myself. <laughs> Do some internal <laughs> reflection. Yeah, it would be tough. If if we win five games, boycotting the pod. If, if we win five games next year, I don't know what's going to happen to me. <laughs> and that's don't been a great that. episode. <laughs> don't say that. Not in that fashion, but like Jesus. regarding the NFL wise, I really don't know what's going to happen <laughs> in the NFL picture. <laughs> yeah. what, what the hell does that mean? What do you fire Dan Campbell? You have to. Wait. He ain't firing shit. <laughs> you have to. No, do you, you don't. Do you? Do if you go five and twelve this year, you damn, you are not having Dan Campbell coach another game. If you go five and twelve, do you get rid of Jerry Goff? Yes. <laughs> he just clean house. Yeah, do you just fire everybody? Get a new quarterback. Seriously, get a coach? It's, bring it's, Patricia our, back. It's over, dude. I, I mean, our dad's what fifty? <laughs> Come on. 56? Sorry, Jim. Oh, my gosh. 56. Sorry, Jim. 52? 53? We're going to let that slide. Uh. He hasn't seen him win since he was a baby. <laughs> he hasn't seen a playoff game since it was in the freaking the Palace of Auburn Hills. Ooh. The last success he saw in Detroit was the Malice in the Palace. <laughs> that was a successful boxing match. Just wait till you bring out the gloves on D1 Rejects. I'm clearing house. <laughs> Liver shots for everybody. <laughs> We'll go down better than Ryan Garcia. This has been episode 97 of D1 Rejects.